Today we're in chapter 8 of the book of Romans. We're partway through the chapter, and we're going to be talking about the fact that we may groan now, but we won't groan forever. Now, what do we mean by that? Well, if you would take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter 8, and we'll pick up at verse 18. We've been going section by section through the book of Romans. And again, today we're at chapter 8, verse 18, and we're going to read down to verse 30. So I'm going to read this section to us, and then we're going to look at it a piece at a time. But this is what it says in Romans chapter 8, starting with verse 18. It says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the, rev- for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word, and thank you for the privilege that it is to be able to just carve out some time right here at the start of our week to read it together, to study it together, to meditate on its content, and to learn more about the way you interact with us. Lord, we're grateful for the portion of Scripture that you've allowed us to focus our minds and our hearts on this morning. And Lord, we're grateful that Even though we may groan now, we won't groan forever, just as this portion of Scripture makes abundantly clear to us. So Lord, we pray that you'd work in our hearts and work in our minds today and help us by your grace to live out the things that we read in this portion of your word. And we commit this time to your care, and we pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. So recently I decided that I was going to start some, or maybe I should say restart, some habits that I had unfortunately gotten away from. And so one of the habits I decided to restart was trying to be a little bit more careful about how many calories I'm eating during the course of a day, because typically I'm not counting those things. Typically, I, I just basically think to myself, all right, well, 
I, I love the pizza place down the street. It's really close to my office here. I go down the street. I get lunch. It's very inexpensive. It's delicious. I have two other places locally that I really like to go. And so really, I'm just concerned about making friends at those establishments. And in fact, down the street, because I hadn't been there uh, too much recently, and the most recent time I went to that pizza place, I got a salad. They were a little bit puzzled. But they also looked at me and they're like, where have you been? And I, I've come to realize I'm an, I'm an important part of their budget. So uh, prices might go up down the street because I'm not, I'm not keeping uh, my end of the bargain. But one of the things I've been doing is just trying to be a little bit more careful about portion control. In fact, I even posted something online the other day about uh, how careful I was trying to be and some of the things that I have here at the office uh, that I've been eating. And you know what? I got so much grief about the sodium content, about what I posted online. I thought, do people think this is the only thing I ever eat, like 24-7? It's just here in a pinch, right? So there's that. But then I also thought, all right, well, you know, if I'm really going to lose some weight, I got to get back in the habit of going to the gym. So I started going back to the gym, and uh, it's been going well. I like doing that. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll walk briskly for a few miles in the morning, kind of start the day off that way. And that's good, but I noticed something about the sneakers that I've been wearing. They're sneakers that I bought, uh, you know, years back, and they're probably past where I should expect them to still be comfortable. But after you're using them for, you know, walking at a brisk pace for, you know, several miles each morning, I started to notice throughout the rest of the day, my feet were very sore. And I thought, all right, am I just being a big baby? Like, am I that much out of shape that I'm going to whine all day about how sore my feet were? But then I'm, I'm thinking about it during the day, and then I'm commenting on it in the evening. And finally, finally I decided, all right, you know, I'm going to splurge. And I'm actually going to buy myself a a new pair of sneakers that's a little bit more comfortable. So I ordered that new pair of sneakers. And I felt like a puppy every time. You know like how how a puppy is when they think you're coming home, right? When they think you're coming home, they're at the door and they're looking for you and all of that. Well, every time I was home and uh, I would hear a delivery truck drive through our neighborhood, I'm at the front door and I'm looking. I'm like, I wonder if he's got my sneakers. And I'm looking, I'm like, come on, I ordered those sneakers, they should be here. Amazon said they were coming today. And when they finally came, I looked at them and I thought, here they are. And I'm wearing them around the house and I'm testing out how springy they are inside. And I'm thinking, all right, these are good. Uh, My feet don't need to groan in discomfort any longer. And the truth is, they ended up being very comfortable. They had memory foam built right into the sole of the shoe. So now I I get the comfort of exercising in those without groaning all day because my feet are hurting me. But there's a form of groaning that the scripture we're looking at today that brings up. It's not... It's not really about, uh, you know, exclusively like this idea of, of, of physical groaning in the sense that your feet hurt or you're discomforted because of something going on at some point of your life. It's a groaning that displays a longing. That's what's being spoken of here in Romans chapter 8. There's a groaning that displays that we're longing for something better than what we've already experienced. And we're not the only ones groaning. When you look at what the Scripture tells us, it tells us that the entire creation groans along with us, waiting for restoration. It's waiting to be restored. The good news is that while we may be groaning now, the Scripture makes it clear that we will not 
be groaning forever because God has good things in store for us. And when we look at Romans chapter 8, starting with verse 18, it speaks about this greater glory that the Lord has in store for those who trust in Him. Let me reread the first few verses really quickly. He says in verse 18, the Apostle Paul, under the Holy Spirit's inspiration, he speaks of this greater glory that's coming, and he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Then he says, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Now let's pause there for just a moment. So right now, during this particular season of our lives, we experience suffering. That's something that came up earlier in the chapter that we're in today. Something that that is brought up here in the portion that we're looking at right now. Suffering is not pleasant, but suffering is part of our present-day reality. Suffering is not something that we usually choose to invite into our lives, and I'm sure that if you and I analyze the nature of our prayers, many of our prayers have to deal with suffering. You know, we'll pray, Lord, alleviate my suffering. Or if you're concerned for somebody else, you'll pray, Lord, alleviate that person's suffering. We pray for our own suffering and comfort. We pray for the comfort Uh, that others need when they're going through seasons of suffering. That's something that's on our minds quite frequently. It's something that we experience quite a bit. I actually read something not too long ago. It's it's older, but I read it uh, somewhat recently. It was in uh, an old copy of Reader's Digest, and uh, it was something that was written ironically, as we're talking about toothbrushes a few moments ago. Um, It was written by uh, someone who took appointments at a dental office, and somebody called up, and said, um, I'll be about 15 minutes late. Will that be a problem? And uh, the person that called apparently was always late to their dental appointments. And so this person taking this information thought, what should I do about this? And so she replied, you'll be 15 minutes late. Is that a problem? She's like, no, it's not a problem. It just means that we won't have time to give you anesthetic. So we'll just take you right in uh, right when you get here. And uh, she said, he arrived early. How ironic, right? Our, our pain avoidance, our, our aversion to pain, could actually make us on time or early for a dental appointment. But now, for those who trust in Jesus Christ, the suffering that we experience now, and by the way, that could also mean suffering that we experience because of persecution, right? Because of being persecuted for our faith in Jesus Christ, it's not something that we will have to endure forever. That's what this scripture is talking about, at least in part. Right? In fact, the Scripture tells us that the sufferings of the present time, the sufferings of right now, the sufferings you and I experience right now in this era, they can't even compare to the glory that the Lord has in store for His children. There is no comparison. Our suffering now doesn't even compare to the glory that the Lord has in store for His children. Now, I like having things to look forward to. And I'm assuming I'm not the only one that likes having things to look forward to. In fact, I will even intentionally schedule things into my calendar 
so that I know something's coming up to look forward to. I'll purposely put a little something here and a little something there so I always have a little little thing in my mind that I could look forward to. It could be you know, a small event, could even be a big event, but I like having something on my schedule to look forward to. And I think God knows that we like having better things to think about in related to our future. I mean, He designed us. He knows how we operate. He knows our minds. He knows our hearts. And so for that reason and for other reasons as well, he tells us about what he has in store when you look at this portion of Scripture. He tells us about a future day when we won't be required to continue to endure suffering. He tells us about a day when we'll be glorified, when we'll be sinless in his presence forever. And even the greatest joys of this present age cannot compare with the good things that God has in store for all those who know Him, who walk with Him, who will experience this glory that He has in store. But right now, that's something we look forward to, and creation itself is looking forward to it. Because creation itself right now is groaning, and the Scripture tells us here that it's eagerly anticipating that day of restoration. Because right now, at present, creation is under a curse. It was subjected to this curse when mankind, you know, we had been entrusted with dominion over creation. Right? Man had been entrusted with dominion over creation. But what did we do in the Garden of Eden? We rebelled against God. And when we rebelled against God, everything was impacted by that. And creation itself was placed under a curse. A curse that made it subjected to decay. Right? The Scripture talks about the fact that, you know, that, that creation is in bondage to decay. And it's the effect of this curse that came when we who were once given dominion over this earth rebelled against God and became objects of the wrath of God, and this creation became in bondage to decay under a curse because of our sin. And again, if that was the end of the story, that would be pretty tragic. But thankfully, the Scripture reveals to us it's only for a season. The day is going to come when creation itself is going to be restored. On a future day, we'll be given glorified bodies. So we who follow Jesus Christ will be given glorified bodies. We will never sin anymore. It will not be part of our day-to-day experience. It will not be part of our experience in eternity. We will live in the presence of God forever joyfully. And the sting and the effect of sin will, that, that have had dominion over this creation will no longer have dominion over this creation and no longer have dominion over redeemed humanity because the Lord is going to restore all things. There's a greater glory coming. I love what Scripture tells us in the book of Revelation. Now, when you're reading through the book of Revelation, there's a lot of things that I think that we look at and we're puzzled by. And I think some of those things uh, are, are meant to be mysterious, at least for a season. But then there are other things that aren't very mysterious at all. And one of the things that, that we could see that has some very clear uh, explanations related to the Lord's future intentions we can find in Revelation chapter 21. And in chapter 21 of the book of Revelation, verses 1 through 3, it says this. It says, then I saw a new heaven. So it speaks of this, this restored heaven and restored earth, right? It says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. 
I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. That's what Scripture describes as the future experience for those who know Jesus Christ. For those who have been given access to the throne of God. For those who are considered children of God because of their relationship with Christ. A future restoration of humanity. A future restoration of creation. I don't know what you may be enduring right now. You may be going through something right now. Maybe for some of you, this is the season where... If you were to be honest with yourself, you would say, all right, the emotional weight that I'm carrying around right now is heavier than I can remember carrying around at any earlier season of my life. Maybe you've experienced grief. Maybe you've been going through trials. Maybe you have some things coming up that are producing anxiety in your heart. And then we look at a portion of Scripture like what we're looking at today, and what does it tell us? It's telling us that no matter how heavy the things that we may endure right now may be, and I'm not denying that they're heavy things, I'm certain that they are heavy things, But we're also encouraged not to forget the truth that's revealed in passages like what we're looking at right now. There is a greater glory up ahead for those who know Jesus. These are promises that have been spoken directly from God. And He's intentionally revealed these things to us. Not so that these would be things that we forget about, but so that these would be things that our minds dwell on when things get heavy when things get difficult, when we need a word of encouragement. It's right there in the Word of God. And He tells us what He has in store. Right now, we wait for this greater glory to be revealed as He's promised. We're waiting, but we're going to see what we've been waiting patiently for. Look at what it says in verses 24 and 25. It says, For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Let's pause there for a moment. Um, I don't know if you were uh, paying attention to the, to the news midweek. I actually saw something come across. I guess somebody must have posted it online. And so I read the news story. And about an hour north of here, there happened to be a major accident. Did you notice the snow squalls the other day? You know, just for, what was it, maybe about 15 minutes? You know, you look outside, you really couldn't see anything, right? Well, about an hour north of here, that snow squall, that band of squalls went across the state like a long vertical line, and wherever it was, it made things blinding. And so imagine yourself not knowing that that snow squall is on its way, and you're driving on the highway, you're probably going 65, maybe 70 miles per hour, and then all of a sudden, in an instant, you can't see. And so about an hour north of here, they said there was a major uh, accident because that happened, and everybody obviously jams on their brakes because instantly you can't see. And when you're going 65 miles per hour, in a matter of seconds, you've traveled the distance of a football field, right? So you've got to stop immediately when you can't see. And so the first car in the line was actually a tractor trailer. It stopped very abruptly jackknifed, so it went sideways. And I think I saw in the the article that there was now, like, almost immediately a 22-car pileup. And I don't know, you know, I was obviously, and you could still pray, obviously those that were impacted by that, you know, it's only a few days ago, be praying for those impacted by that. But what was the problem? The problem was, in a moment, they went from being able to see to not being able to see. And then everything got jammed up and everything became perilous because they couldn't see in an immediate moment. 
Now, sight is not a gift that everybody possesses, right? Not everybody has sight with their eyes, and not everybody has great sight, even if your eyes work very well. And the sense of sight, you know, we're talking about this from the physical sense, uh, it tends to be one of the primary senses that we rely on to get through life. So on a day-to-day basis, I'm relying on my sight. On a day-to-day basis, you're relying on your sight. It's one of the main things we use to navigate day-to-day life. In fact, over time, we gradually learn, the longer we're living, to depend on our sight more and more, even more than we depend on many other things. You and I depend on our sight. If we can see things, we believe them. If we can't see them, we don't usually believe. We want to see things, right? But unfortunately... This dependence on our sight can actually be transformed into something that works against us. Instead of treating our sight as a gift to be used for God's glory, it's also possible to begin treating our sight like an idol to be worshipped. So instead of treating it like a gift to use for the glory of God, many of us at different seasons of our lives, and many people throughout the course of their lives, tend to look at their sight or think of their sight effectively as an idol to be worshipped. In fact, there are many people on this earth who completely reject the notion that God even exists simply because they cannot see Him. And if they cannot see Him, they choose not to believe in Him. But there are things that we cannot see through natural means that God very much wants to show us. He wants to show you things and He wants to show me things that my eyes naturally are not going to be able to see. Scripture teaches us regarding spiritual sight that Satan likes to blind the eyes and he likes to blind the minds of those who do not believe so that they cannot see spiritual truth. But we're also told that the Holy Spirit combats Satan's activity so that we can begin to see the spiritual truths that at one point we were blind to. We were once blind to our need for the Savior. But now the Holy Spirit's opened up our eyes so that we could see our need for Jesus. We were once blind to the fact that there is much more to life than what we presently experience during this age. But now through faith in Christ, we're enabled to look forward to the future with a confident hope. And that's what the Apostle Paul's talking about in these verses, in verse 24 and verse 25. He's saying basically that the day will come when we will see what we've been patiently waiting for. And in the meantime, what the Lord is inviting us to do is to rely on Him fully. To trust Him completely. In fact, because we may struggle with temptations during this era of our lives, and because we might struggle with uh, weak spiritual sight you know, in regard to future things, This scripture also reveals to us that the Lord offers divine help to make up for our weaknesses. Look at what it tells us in verses 26 and 27. It says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So the Scripture is teaching us that the Holy Spirit gladly helps us in the midst of our weaknesses. Think about what the Holy Spirit's doing for us. So if you have faith in Jesus Christ, 
No, if Christ is your Lord, if Christ is your Savior, the moment you trusted in Jesus Christ, Scripture tells us you were indwelled by the Holy Spirit in that very moment. And consider what Scripture tells us the Holy Spirit's doing for you. And this is on a daily basis. This is every day that you live, every day that you're walking with Christ. Scripture teaches us that He counsels us. Isn't that amazing to think that internally, right, from the inside, because He's not just, if you're a believer in Christ, He's not just acting on your life from the outside. He lives within you. So internally, He's counseling you. He's pointing you to all truth. He's revealing things to you that you would not have naturally known. He's showing you how to apply the Word of God to your particular circumstances at any given moment. He's counseling us, right? Scripture teaches that He gives us wisdom. That's one of the things, by the way, when you're talking about praying, do you ever wonder, do you ever wonder if certain things you just shouldn't pray about? Do you ever just kind of have one of those moments where you're like, am I allowed to pray about this? I remember years ago I asked a family member to pray about something specific. And she said to me, she's like, I'll pray for you, but I'm not asking God for anything specific. And I was like, what? I was like, what do you mean you're not going to ask for anything specific? I'm asking you to specifically pray about this thing. And she said, no, I don't pray in specifics. I just pray in generalities. I said, you know you're allowed to ask God for specific things, right? As long as you're entrusting this to His will. He gets to decide if it's a yes or a no. Uh, And she's like, eh, sounds a bit iffy. I'm just going to pray in general ways. So I'm thinking, like, what does her prayer sound like? That's a weird person to ask to pray for you then, right? You know, it's like, Lord... Whatever you feel like making happen in John's life, do that thing if you feel like it. Amen. I'm like, is that what your prayers sound like? It was like, you could pray about specific things. But anyway, I don't know that I convinced her in that moment. But one of the things that you can pray for that Scripture reveals that the Lord delights to say yes to is wisdom. He loves when His children ask Him for wisdom. I remember when that started to become clear to me when I was about 15 years old, reading through the Scriptures and seeing how pleased the Lord was with Solomon in the Old Testament when Solomon could have asked the Lord for anything. And Solomon said, Lord, can you just give me wisdom? I've been put in this position of leadership. I have to rule the people that you've entrusted to me and lead the people you've entrusted to me. And I'm a young man and I feel like I don't know what I'm doing. Can you give me wisdom? And the Lord said, yes, I'm going to give you wisdom and I'm going to give you all the other things that you could have asked me for because I gave you just, uh, you know, uh, like open to whatever you wanted. I I told you I was going to answer and I was going to say yes. He's like, you asked for wisdom, I'm going to give you wisdom. When you look at the book of James, what does the Scripture tell us? That the Lord delights to give us His wisdom. And how does He give us wisdom? He gives us His wisdom through the Holy Spirit who lives within us, who helps us to apply the Word of God to our day-to-day lives, who helps us to understand even what we're reading. So the Holy Spirit who lives within us is counseling us. He's giving us wisdom. He empowers us. Right? That's another ministry of the Holy Spirit to empower believers. He gives you divine strength to face your day-to-day difficulties and challenges. Meaning, you don't have to face every day relying on your own natural strength. You have the Holy Spirit living within you if you've trusted in Christ, and He empowers you to accomplish the will of God for your life. And then the Scripture also tells us in the portion we just read that He prays for us. Now that probably has some of you scratching your head, because, I, and I think, to be honest with you, I consider that a, a bit mysterious um, because, well, put it this way, there are certainly seasons in my life where I know I should have been praying, right? Where I know I'm supposed to be praying, um, and then I'll, 
I'll experience times though where I, I feel like I don't even know what to say right now. Do you ever go through a season maybe where your grief was so heavy that the only you wanted to pray, you wanted to be able to articulate something to God, but you're also thinking to yourself, I don't even know what to say. And the most you feel like you could get out is like a faint cry for help. And you feel like your heart's so broken that all you're doing is just you just it finally just gets to the point where you're just saying, like, Lord, can you help? I, I don't even know specifically how to phrase this. I can't even get words out. I'm just, I'm just racked with grief right now. And then you look at a portion of Scripture like this, and it reveals to us that the Lord understands. And through His Spirit, He helps us. And in a way that seems both fascinating and mysterious to me, Scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit, He prays for those who are the children of God, through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are united as one. So this is interesting to consider that, you know, the, the Spirit is God, and yet the Scripture reveals that He prays for us. Our basically, taking care of what we couldn't articulate well. Understanding what was in our mind, understanding what was in our heart, and understanding what we needed better than we understood what we needed. And interceding on our behalf in a deeper way than natural words could express. In fact, it says here, you know, the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. It's the nature of His loving concern for you. That He would intercede, intercede on your behalf in prayer with groanings too deep for words. So when He's lifting us up in prayer, what's He doing? He's doing so in a way that aligns with His divine nature. He's praying for us in accordance with the will of God. You know, our request might not always be in, in alignment with God's will. But the Spirit who knows all things makes up for our weaknesses by doing what? By praying on our behalf in a way that lines up with God's will. I find this both comforting and assuring. And when I look at a portion of Scripture like this, it makes me grateful too, because I'm grateful that, that my well-being doesn't rest on my ability to carry myself or to articulate things in a moment of weakness. The Scripture tells us that we have the divine help of the Holy Spirit to make up for our weaknesses. And the Word of God assures us that everything is going to work out together for our good in the end. Is that something that we believe? You know, do we believe that it's all going to work out in the end? Look at the, the remaining verses from the passage we're looking at today. And by the way, I'll, I'll mention this. If you're a new Christian and, and um, maybe this is the first time you've had an opportunity to look at this chapter of Scripture, one of the most frequently quoted verses in all of the Bible is in this section that I'm about to read. And I think you'll see why. It says this in verse 28. It says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. By the way, can't you see why Romans 8.28 would be a frequently 
quoted verse, you know, telling us that things are ultimately going to work out for God's children. Um, last year, I bought a movie pass. Did you hear what, uh, anything about movie pass? Does anyone know what that was? It was a thing. They said you could see unlimited movies for 10 bucks a month. And I was like, oh, wow. So for the price of less than one movie, I could go see unlimited movies. I was like, all right, I'll take the risk. So I bought a movie pass. And uh, in the mornings, on, on, so I usually take Mondays off, and so Monday mornings I'd go to the movies usually. And, uh, and I'd use my movie pass. And I was like, this is sweet. They ended up changing all the rules because they realized how much people liked going to the movies. And if you look on YouTube, you could discover that people were going to the movies every single day with their movie pass and spending like $400 on the thing over the course of a month for something they spent $9.95 to have. So the, the system got abused. The company went broke. Things happen, right? But while the whole system was working, I, um, I was going to movies. And I, I discovered there aren't as many good movies out as you would like there to be, right? I was like, wow, there's like, like you quickly run out of anything that you'd even be willing to see. Like I'd look at what was available. I'd be like, not even willing to sit through that. No, 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 no. And the one thing I like, I already saw. And after a while, I was like, I don't think I'm going to renew my movie pass. But I heard something interesting that I imagine is probably true. But they said there's a difference between movies that we like here in the United States and movies that people that live in many other places seem to prefer. And uh, movie production companies have noticed something about preferences here in the United States. In the United States, they say that we like happy endings and resolution. Right? We like when all loose ends tie together and it ends happy. And uh, in fact, if you look at some of the reviews and some of the comments on movies, if a movie has loose ends, a lot of times people will complain about it and give it a bad review. Hey, they never tied this together. They never tied this together. And apparently that's something particular to American audiences that we have an affinity for happy endings and resolution. And I think to myself, well, okay, I fit into that category. I like happy endings. I like resolution. And I'm definitely glad when you look at this portion of Scripture that it has a happy ending, that it has resolution. You know, when you look at the promises given in these verses, these are promises that are specific to those who love God, right? These are assurances that have been given to those who have received the gift of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And the promise that we're given here states that all things work together for our good because God holds our lives and our futures securely in His hand. He's going to work all things together for the good of those who love Him. That's His plan. That's His intention. That's the way He sovereignly works in the lives of those who trust in Him. Meaning our lives, our hopes, our futures. These things don't come down to our own natural ability to derive strength to try and hold these things together. And in fact, if you try to hold those things together through your own natural strength, all you end up doing is producing anxiety in your heart because you begin to realize this isn't a task I can actually complete. I can't do what I'm trying to do. But what we can do is we can trust God to hold our lives securely in His hand and to bring things to resolution, to bring things to that happy ending as He's describing here in this portion of Scripture. These are things that God is orchestrating and He's empowering and He's ordaining. The Scripture reveals to us that the children of God are not a mystery to God. He knows 
who is His child. Before you were even born, He knew you. And He called you. And the Scripture says that He predestined you to become like Christ, to conform to the image of His Son. That means to, to be like Christ. That's a transformation that He's taking, that He's facilitating in your life and in mine to make us like Christ. And now through faith in Christ, we're declared righteous in God's sight, so we're justified, and we're assured of future glory in His presence that will be glorified. These are all the things that God promises to work out on behalf of His children. And for good reason, many people have committed this portion of Scripture to heart because it's an encouraging thing for our minds to meditate on. Let me say this as we finish up this morning. These are encouraging things to read. But they're even more encouraging to believe and live out. So again, I don't know what this season of life has looked like for some of you. Now, for some of you, I know very much what this season of life has looked at or looked like. But whether this has been your favorite season or your least favorite season of life, I would encourage you to continue to refresh your heart with the content that we find in these verses of Scripture. It's been revealed to us with the intention that we know it and believe it and live it out. It wasn't revealed just to exist on a page, but not to be applied to our lives. The Lord wants us to know it and believe it and live it out. Because what He's telling us in this portion of Scripture is that we may groan now, but we won't groan forever if we're in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for Your Word and for the privilege that it is to be able to read it together today. And Lord, we're grateful for the fact that You allow us to meditate on these things and think about important things that You've revealed to us that naturally speaking, we wouldn't have known and naturally speaking, we wouldn't have been aware of. But You've made these things known to us. And you help us to see that even though we may be groaning right now, we don't need to groan forever. In your Son, we find redemption. We find restoration. We find healing. We find hope. And through faith in your Son, we know that likewise we're indwelled by the power of your Holy Spirit. He lives within us. He's empowering us. He's granting us His wisdom and discernment and counsel. And He's helping us to see that there's hope beyond the things that we can naturally see. So Father, we thank You that You minister to us in this kind of way. And we thank You, Father, for allowing us to see that the trials and the difficulties and the, the various ways that we suffer right now, these are things that are only for a season. We even see that demonstrated in the experience Your Son Jesus Christ had on this earth. When He came to this earth and suffered for our sin, and the Scripture tells us that He did so because He was looking forward to the joy of what would come. He was looking forward to what the result of His actions would be. That many would become part of the family of God through faith in Him. So we're grateful, Father, that You've accomplished these things on our behalf. And we're grateful for the hope that You've given us beyond our natural experience and beyond our natural sight. We pray that You'd comfort our hearts now and help us to be men and women who experience a confident hope in You 
because of what you have revealed to us in your word, because of your nature, and because of the things that you have in store for those who know you. We commit ourselves to you now, and we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.